Hey, and just a quick reminder that the audio-only versions of these Vital MX interviews are available on the Vital MX podcast page. Search for it anywhere you get your pods and let your friends know about it. Hey guys, it's Jamie, Vital MX. Today, I have the owner of Bolt Motorcycle Hardware, Dave Nichols, on the line. What's going on, Dave? Not much, Jamie. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's really great to talk to you. It's been a little bit. Yeah, right on. It's years ago we talked. Yeah, yeah. So... I always like to start off with your history. Uh, I, I'm sure you dis- discovered motocross somewhere along the lines, and how did you discover that? When was that? Oh, shoot. We were living down in San Diego area when I was a kid. Probably my first ever exposure to motocross was watching the super bikers down at Carlsbad on TV. Okay, I, I believe that. that was NBC's Worldwide of Sports. And um, I come from a family of surfers, um, like big-time surfers. And I had never known anything about motocross. And I saw these guys on TV and I had something about it, man. I was just, they, they looked like superheroes to me. I was like, whatever this is, I want to do that. And that was pretty much the first hook. Um, and now what, I'm 47 years old and I, I, it still got me hooked, you know. It does um, that, doesn't it? What's that? It does that, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, and it's funny. There's, there's guys I grew up with that rode with and we were super into it, but they just kind of drifted away. And me and a couple other buddies, like I said, were hooked. Like we, even if we don't ride at this particular time in our life or whatever's going on, or you have kids or whatever, you've got to have a bike in the garage. Otherwise you're in a bad headspace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it hooks you. And I'm one of those guys that got bit by the bug and have been able to shake it. Well, when you see this on TV on Wild World of Sports, do you go to, to the parents and be like, "Hey, I need a dirt bike. I'm I'm into this." How do you <laughs> leap to having a bike? And you know, you got to get gear. You got to figure out where to go ride. Like it's a, it's a process. Yeah. So it, I m- later moved up to Santa Cruz, California, and there was a couple kids at my school that had dirt bikes. And, um, I I used to go down to the Honda shop and sit on the dirt bikes and I'd watch it whenever I could on TV, but I never really had access. And then I met these two guys at school and they let me on their dirt bikes. You know, it was like one of them had an XR 100, one of them had an XR 80 and, uh, they were cool dudes and they actually let me ride their dirt bikes. So this was like, it was probably third grade when I saw the super bikers. And then this was like sixth grade when I finally got on a dirt bike. And uh, we became super tight and we grew up together and eventually I got a bike. So how I got a bike, my family didn't have any money. I, I never even bothered going to my parents. Um, I, uh, I worked after school that, that sixth grade year and I worked during the summer and I saved up all my money and eventually bought a KX80, which, um, which is funny because that's kind of how the whole Bolt thing started was I was so pumped to finally have a bike. Um, cause you know, I was just bumming rides off my buddy's bike. I got this KX 80 and it was a race bike and I was so pumped. And, um, I finally got a ride to Hollister Hill Hills where I could ride it. And, um, it, first five minutes of riding it failed. The back axle came out cause the guy used all thread for the axle. <laughs> and so, and so, and the, the thing was clapped out, but I didn't know better. And, um, uh, and so anyways, I was trying to find some way to fix it. And I just, I couldn't believe that this one bolt like ruined my day. And, um, because it was so, so built up in my mind, I was finally getting to ride my new dirt bike. So I was just pissed because I had to watch my buddies ride all day while I looked at my bike going, if I just had that bolt, I could be riding. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> and, that's that's crazy. So th- that created a passion for fasteners, you could say. <laughs> it, it's interesting that you know, as a, a kid, that like that your your mind goes at like, wow, this ruined my day because I think that's. I don't know that every kid would have done that. I probably would have just had a temper tantrum and and been like, "Dad, you got to fix it," and then that's it. Like I wouldn't have thought past that. And yeah, it's really interesting that that led to what is now your business. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, my dad was a, a surfer, and it wasn't really like something I could even go to him with. My dad was a machinist, though, and mm-hmm. he did he did help me a lot. Later, when I started racing and building engines, he actually helped me a lot. Um, he never, he never had money, but he had some really good skill that could, he could help me make a bike faster. But, um, at that time, you know, he was surfing and I was, I was two hours away with my friends at the track and there was nothing I could do, but sit there and look at the broken motorcycle. And I was like, you know, and then you get ultra paranoid after that. Whenever you're going riding, you get like super prepared, you know, you're like, Oh, I don't want that to ever happen again. And, um, and part of that is my product, you know, it's the type of product you buy and you have in the toolbox. And if something goes wrong, fastener wise, you got it fixed in seconds and you're back on the track. Yeah. So that obviously was the moment that sort of set everything in motion. At what point do you actually start thinking, okay, this is something I need to create. I always needed fastener. So later I got a CR125 and I was always working on the thing because I had mentioned the track was like, uh, it's like an hour and a half away. So when we didn't have our driver's license, like it was hard to bum a ride, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was always tearing down the bike just, just to be with the bike. <laughs> Even if it didn't need maintenance, I would tear it down and do maintenance. And, um, and I was real finicky and picky and I always needed fasteners and you'd go down to the hardware store and it was the wrong kind of fastener. And then you go down to the shop and they wouldn't have it. And then they would have to order it and then you have to go back down and get it. And that, that also showed me something else that led to the creation of the product is not only was it a hassle for me to go get this 95 cent bolt from the Honda shop, it was a hassle for them also. You know, if they had to order me a bolt or a couple bolts and get them in, and then call me and then have me go down and get them. And it was like a $2 sale and uh, it didn't make sense for the shop. And as I grew up and got older, I realized that I was like, you know, there's a need for the riders and there's a need for the shop to kind of streamline this process and to kind of anticipate what the customer, what the rider is going to need so that they can buy our product and not have to, you know, deal with these little issues that can be a pain for everybody involved. So but the, 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 there's still a process that you have to go, okay, I'm going to try to create this product. And I'm sure that takes time. You got to think about it for a while and you got to put all the, the, the wheels in motion. And at some point, yeah. what do you do? You find a distributor that has bolts and you start putting kits together or do you start machining things yourself? Uh, it was a combination because I mentioned my dad was a machinist. Right. So I worked in a machine shop growing up and, um, I still consider myself a machinist. So I had an idea of how to get things made and what to do. And obviously I didn't own a fastener factory. That's different machinery. And so, but I knew enough of how to speak the language, um, get tooling made, um, get the right fastener made. And it wasn't like I could go somewhere and get them off the shelf. I had to develop tooling. That was obviously it wasn't original. I was, I was, I was duplicating the OEM. And I would duplicate the OEM fasteners, and then I would have a factory make them. And our factories are anywhere from Illinois. We do a lot in Germany. We do a lot in Turkey. 
We do some in Taiwan. We do some in Japan. So it's, it's all over the world um, now. Um, but uh, because certain regions are better at certain um, processes. Um, and so, so basically, and then we had an in-house machine shop, which it's less of now because the business grew to the point that we couldn't keep up with our machine shop. And so we've been actually focusing more on the marketing of the product and we don't have so many CNC machines anymore. Okay. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, basically I have, I was like 20, 24 or so. And I, I basically had to scrounge all the money I could and the, and go all in on uh, the track pack, which was the only product we have is a little universal bolt kit called the track pack. And it cost me like 25 grand at the time to get it up and going, which was a huge amount of money to me at the time. And, um, and, and then just started going to shops after developing the kit and um, trying to sell it. I want to back up for a minute. Cause this is something it's sort of, it really doesn't even, necessarily have anything to do with Bolt so much, but you talked about creating tooling. And I've heard that term many times in different podcasts, news stories, whatever, when people are talking about creating something. And I always wonder, like, how, what, is, what does that mean? How do you create tooling? Let's say you're trying to build a, you know, an eight millimeter bolt. What is the tooling process that you have to create something before you can even create the product, right? Yeah. So what I was doing was creating the drawings and the design and then going through the sampling process with the factory. Because again, I'm a machinist. I cut metal. I don't form metal. Mm -hmm. These factories, a bolt is formed. It's not cut. Right. And so you basically give them a, a mechanical drawing and say, this is what I want. And then the, the process is that it feeds metal wire through a machine and then there's these dies that stamp it and form it in stages you know there might be four or five different dies that form it in stages um and so anyways I, I mean i could go way down this rabbit hole but basically they would they would duplicate my drawing and then i'd be like hey like the flange the flange isn't round enough you know maybe it was a little like oblong or whatever they get funny shapes they go okay we're gonna have to add another die so we'd refine the process refine the process until we have these dies that produced the fastener that looked like oem and my you know my goal was because i knew guys wouldn't put something that was close on the bike it had to look just like oem mm -hmm. and so i'm kind of i was kind of the enthusiast who was doing the QC because when it was right, I knew it was right. And then when it wasn't, it wasn't because I'm, I'm my own customer. Right. And we can be pretty discerning customers. And, um, when, the, when the shape and the performance and everything was right, then we would send it to production. Okay. And then you also, I would assume have to learn about outsourcing materials and manufacture manufacturing plants or who's going to do the manufacturing because there's lower grade metals. How yeah. do you go about has, dealing with that? It's pretty simple. They're carbon steel, and it has everything to do with the, the carbon content. Higher carbon creates a harder bolt um, in the heat treatment process, which is like a, a 10.9, which is like a sprocket bolt. It's like a 10.9, and it has a higher carbon content, so it gets harder in the heat treat process. Um, and then like a regular bolt on your motorcycle is probably an 8.8, .8, which is a lower carbon. Um, and, um, it's, it has more ductility. Um, and you would say, well, why don't you just make every bolt hard and uh, make them all super strong? And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, 
Um, hardness equals brittle and a brittle is not good. Um, so I always, I describe fasteners. What a fastener is literally is a spring. That's what it is. So if you imagine you had a metal slinky and everybody's probably did this once when they were a kid, you have your metal slinky back forth and you pull it all the way out, (laughs) right? Well, what happens? It doesn't spring back anymore. And so that's what a fastener is doing is you want it to be under tension, but you don't want it to be pulled so hard that it loses its spring or loses its tension. It doesn't come back to its original state. So you go, just make them all 10.9, super hard, super strong. Well, imagine that slinky, if you pulled it all the way out, if it was hard or brittle, it would just snap. And so you're always trying to find this happy medium between hardness and ductility. Um, there's also another reason why the Japanese, because people will be like, oh, just put a, a stronger bolt in the bike. And it's like the Japanese leave some of the bolts safe, uh, soft for a reason. Uh, one of those is because the characteristics needs ductility. The other one can be, and it's really smart, actually. They don't want you stripping out an engine case. They would rather the bolt stretch or snap before you stretch, stretch, uh, strip out your engine case, right? Because we're dealing with aluminum. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually safeguarding you from damaging a more expensive or more critical part by creating weak links and fasteners at times. And over the years, I've been able to find out where and why they do that. And that's what we duplicate in our fasteners. That is Um, smart. Difference, not always better. You know, these Japanese guys, they've been doing this for decades. There's a lot of liability, a lot on the line for them. And they know more than most any of the aftermarkets. And so we, we definitely follow their lead and try to duplicate what they've done. Once you have this original track pack, you talked about, you have to go, you basically have to go sell it. You have to get it in shops. You have to get it hopefully in some catalogs. What's that process like? How do you make that happen when nobody really knows who you are? And they probably don't even know they need this product just yet. Well, everybody knew they needed it, but it's a funny thing. It, and I see a lot of guys have done this. They've come up with a cool product in, in motorcycle to do with motorcycles. They're super pumped on it. They're capable of making it. It's a good idea. And then they're like, and now it'll just sell. And that's just not the case. So what I did was I figured when the track pack was finished, the distributors would pick it up and I would just be sending pallets to distributors and they would service the dealers. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't that simple. They all turned me down. Like all the big distributors turned me down. And so what I had to do, because I had all this money invested, so I had to liquidate it. And so I just started traveling around the country, repping my own product to a dealer. So I would literally fly to Texas from California and go visit their dealerships and ask them if they'd buy this track pack, which was this countertop display that had these track packs in it. And the funny thing is, is the distributors didn't want anything to do with it, but the dealers all loved it. And, um, eventually I had really good market share because I was, well, I was really the only guy doing it. So, and the dealers were buying it and selling out of it. And so finally the reps from the distributors saw all their dealers were carrying it and went back to their bosses and said, why can't I sell this product? It's, it sells really well. And then the distributors called me and then asked to carry it. So it was a strange turn of events. And, if somebody listening, you know, is thinking about bringing a product to the market in this industry, the fact of the matter is you got to do the heavy lifting first, even if it is, no matter how good of idea it is, if there's not a demand for it already, the distributors won't 
won't touch it. The other mistake I see people do is they go right customer direct and don't leave any margin for dealers. Mm. And um, I personally believe dealers have a super important function in our culture and in our commerce. And um, I'm loyal to our dealers. I built margin in the product so that it they get paid and it's been a really good relationship. And I think it's a better relationship for the customer too, to be honest with you. Okay. So I'm interested in, if I go buy the pro pack, which we haven't really talked about, it's got almost everything in it for a particular bike. Let's say I buy a CRF pro pack. Somebody, you, somebody has to go grab a new 2023 Honda CRF 450 and say, okay, this bolt is this long. This bolt is this diameter. Oh, this spacer is like this. That seems like almost an insurmountable process. <laughs> it was at first. When we started, it was like there was so much. Well, a couple things. It was easy because bolts used to be more universal on bikes. When we started in like 03, the bikes were more universal. So that was easy. But there was still a ton of models we had to cover. Um, and I was, every time I saw a bike, whether it was at a track or I knew somebody that had it or I would ask people if they knew anybody that had a certain model I needed. And then I'd go through it. And for years I was just going through these bikes constantly. A lot of dealers were cool. They'd let me go on the showroom floor and look at the fasteners and take them out discreetly. (laughs) Um, But now it's kind of cool now because we've been in business so long that we have a, a huge foundation of data. So when the bikes change now, it's just little tweaks I need to make. Not a big deal. Um, and so that, that workload's gotten a lot easier, but, um, like I said, with my old CR 125, I just loved being with dirt bikes. So when I started the company, it was, I thought it was a cool job because I was a, I was a machinist and I was also a painting contractor, right? And these are like, especially the painting contract, that was a gnarly job. So if I was at home, you know, working with dirt bikes, I was, I was pumped. I was like, this is the best job ever. So I had the enthusiasm for it back then. And we were able to gather all the information. I, I get that, that yeah, the painting, painting just stinks anyway, but mo- mo- dirt bikes are awesome no matter what. So it makes tons of sense. Um, yeah. And, and I ahead. still, I still like really like my job. That's <laughs> it. I've actually had people say this and like, I know you're a passionate guy. I see everything you do and how you hustle. And there's a lot of guys like us and, I actually had somebody said this, and I think we take it for granted, people like us. The guy said, wow, you've done so good. I wish I had a passion like you do, Hmm. right? And you never think about that. Like there's people out there that just don't get as fired up about things as we do. That's true. And and that's why it's like, it's a real blessing, you know, that I can have, have done this this long. And when I go into my showroom and I see a dirt bike in the showroom and we're making cool products, like I'm still really pumped to be at work. And uh, not everybody has that benefit. They're just working because they have to. Well, here's an important question for me. I've recently been on the Husky, so I've had my hands on some of these Austrian bikes. Please tell me your bolt kit is a little more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The the bolts on the the Austrian bikes, some of them are Phillips heads, some of them are hex heads, some of them are torque. (laughs) Please tell me that you guys make them all hex head or something. Cause Oh my God, it drives me insane. The amount of tools I have to have to take a Husky apart. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a Husky too. I know what you mean. <laughs> it, unfortunately I kind of, I got to go back to Copy. what I said before. We try to stick really close to OEM. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one bike we have recently, we just came out with products for betas, beta motorcycles. Mm-hmm. 
And you think Husky's bad. Those things are awful. <laughs> beta is awful. And we did do that on the beta products. We made it all universal. One eight millimeter hex does everything. So beautiful. We're, we're starting to tackle that on some brands, but unfortunately uh, the Husky kit is going to be very close to OEM. Oh, yeah. Just to take like a shroud off, you need like one's a wood screw. Yeah. It's <laughs> ridiculous. But anyway, that doesn't really matter. You know, an interesting story with that wood screw is uh, it was, it was developed by the owner of a, a Cherby's, I believe. Oh, really? And it, this is the reason why, because you're right. Why does KTMs are so bitching? Why do they use a wood screw? He was trying to get the, uh, the bid to be the OEM supplier for KTM back in the day. And one of the ways he was able to cut cost and get the bid because, because a Cherish used to be the OEM supplier for KTM mm-hmm. was he eliminated the metal inserts in the tank and came up with the E-Jot screw it's called, which is just a wood screw, self-tapping screw. And that got his cost down low enough that he was able to win the bid. Well, yeah, I didn't know that. And, well, I don't like and that. And still, they still use that wood screw. Like a Honda or Yamaha will have a nice metal insert, but they just mold the tank out of plastic and then just tap into it with that wood screw because it's cheaper. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because KTM will put so much like, or KTM or Husky will put so many bitching parts on the bike, but they give us those wood screws on the shroud. It's yeah, funny. it drives me crazy. Um, yeah. What was the initial, well, you kind of talked about it. It, The initial response was positive from the consumer that it does really well. I'm sure that the dealers are very happy. What about once you start building some some name recognition, you start working with privateers, any factory teams start reaching out? No, I wouldn't say we've been with factory teams. We've been with really good privateers. We, we were with Weston Pike all through until he got picked up, and that was awesome. He got us a lot of exposure. And um, I also loved sponsoring Weston because if there was ever a question of quality, right, I could point at Weston. I could be like, dude, he's in a main event every weekend, and he's not having failures that this stuff works because um, that guy was hard on stuff. But uh, <laughs> um, And then there's if you go to the, any Supercross even today, you'll, you'll find us in a few different pits of privateers that we're helping and number one, cause I'm a race enthusiast. I, I know a lot of the guys personally, we've had a surprising number of supercross racers actually work for the company. And, um, and also like, I figure if I can't have a guy line up with my sprocket bolts and my fasteners on his bike for a main event in supercross, I'd probably have no business selling them. So I like proving them every weekend. Good point. I like that. I want to point, are you also, didn't you guys do something with KTM or, or one of the OEMs kind of help out or have some kind of partnership? Oh, no, not officially. It's oh, okay. kind of convoluted. Okay. Uh, KTM, we, I, we were working with KTM on a collaboration before I had the Euro bolt kits. And then they told me uh, to hit the bricks mm. and, at the end of the project. And then I marketed what I developed for them and they developed their own bolt kit and we, we kicked their butt in sales. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of nice, but cool. Um, uh, but no, nothing officially. Um, KTM does use my original tooling for their uh, for their uh, fork guard bolts. Okay, I actually I developed that tooling, and then I abandoned the tooling, and then KTM picked it up. Well, I think that says something. It must have been good tooling. That's that's what I say, right? <laughs> I was like, I was I was stoked. It's, KTM is funny. Like, um, I had a guy tell me once, Hey, this year, uh, KTM's giving bolt kits with their new bikes. Like, because they had these little bolt kits they'd give you with the bike. This was only a one year, I think 
And they said, aren't you worried? They're going to like put you out of business. I was like, no, they're only, they're only demonstrating the need for my product. They're literally giving you bolts because they know you're going to lose them. <laughs> That's smart. That's actually, yeah, right on. Yeah. Uh, a couple more things. So we've been talking about motocross. Obviously this is basically a motocross podcast, but you also have hardware for ATVs, UTVs, sport bikes. I just want to let everybody know about that. Um, yeah. T- just talk about the different products that you have. You, you don't have to just buy a pro kit or a track pack. There's, I think some plastic only type kits. There's yeah. stuff for two strokes, sprocket bolts. Just, yeah. Talk about some other products. There's probably four main categories. There's the track pack, which you see on your dealership counter. They're these little kits that are easy to keep around. They're not very big, but they have everything you'll need at the track. That's why we call them the track pack. If, if you're going to lose something, you're going to find it in that kit. And they're, they're, they're only about 20 bucks retail. They're affordable. They're easy to keep in the truck or in the toolbox. Um, and that was, our, like I mentioned, our flag, our original product. Um, and then we have the pro packs, which is a bigger kit. So if you're tearing your bike down a lot or you're racing a lot, you're riding a couple times a week, that's the kit you'll want. It's for a guy that's getting into the bike a lot. It'll do entire systems on the bike. You know, it'll do all your body work. It'll do most of your chassis. It'll do all your rotor bolts and sprocket bolts. So it's pretty thorough. And those are like between 50 and $60. And then, um, and then we have engine kits where you would buy the kit and it replaces all the fasteners on your engine. And then we have body work kits, which you buy and it replaces all the fasteners for your body work. So if you get new plastics and you need fasteners, I would just get the body work kit. Right. And that includes those little, the nut inserts that a lot of the, the teams use, right? The little flat nuts that kind of press yeah. into the fenders. Right. Into the fenders. Yeah. I mean, they'll do everything. If mm-hmm. it holds on your plastic, it's in the kit and it's an OEM match. Um, those are only like 24 bucks. I think they're, they're a good deal. And it, it even replaces all the aluminum bushings that hold on your bodywork. So right, they're really right. nice. Um, and then we have a, other stuff like sprocket bolt kits, rotor bolt kits, and just little stuff for, uh, for doing maintenance. But that would, that's kind of an overview of the product. Um, we, uh, we have, we have some more comprehensive kit. Like we have a kit for the steel frame hondas which is like a full-on restoration kit the thing's huge it's heavy and um and those are those are like 95 bucks but man they're a good value if you're doing a resto on one of those bikes it does everything that's cool and i really i I consider the track pack almost like a not a extra a spare tool but like you carry spare um inner tubes or a spare spark plug got a track pack you know you just keep all that stuff in your toolbox because like you say at the track, you know, if something falls out, you don't want to ruin your day. It's yeah. one of those items that you just should have on hand, you know, in case your, your muffler's about to fall off or, you know, your kickstarter's your, about to fall off. Yeah. It goes back to my KX 80, like, yeah. right. Like what a bummer. Like we spend so much time and energy and money to get to the track. Like it's silly when a fastener or something small like that, it hangs you up and you, it's not worth it, in my opinion. You just grab a track pack and it usually has you covered. Yeah, I was riding this past weekend and I was on my YZ250 and I, I looked down and my right fork guard was tilted forward because one of the bolts fell out and it was pivoting. I was like, God dang it. I just put it back on. Clearly didn't snug it up. So, yeah, yeah definitely definitely had to get a replacement for that. But uh, last question. There's a, there's a, oh, go ahead. There was a guy at the track just last weekend. He was bummed because his clutch perch came off and nobody had a bolt. He was walking around the pits and nobody had a bolt to put this clutch perch back on. It he was ru- a kid. He was like 17, you know? Yeah, to ruin your day. 
And so like, I was pumped when I was, be, I was able to pull out a kit and be like, Hey, here you go. And it worked perfect. That, I mean, that stuff makes my day. That's like, of course. I'm really happy for the kid. The kid's like, it's crazy how happy you make somebody for a, you know, a 50 cent bolt. He was just over the moon. Fantastic. Yeah. Last- Actually, you mentioned the factory teams. I did there. We do stuff with uh, factory Husky and factory KTM. Uh, we supply them some of their hardware. Oh, good. Yeah, those are yeah. Good, that's good. They good use teams ti- to be with. like, for instance, they use titanium sprocket bolts, but they use our locking nuts and stuff like that. Okay. Last question here: What's next for Bolt? What's the future? Anything big coming up, or is it just maintaining and dealing with the new bikes? Uh, it's maintaining, updating products, keeping them. Our, our catalog is extensive enough now that it does take a lot of effort and energy just to make sure everything stays current. Like the, that new YZ450, right? Like we got to make sure we're up to speed on that. And the new, some of the new Euro bikes, we got to make sure we're up to speed on that. So um, we have a pretty good base. We want to keep our reputation, which we think is good and stay on top of it. Um, there is some stuff in the works, but I kind of have a policy. I don't talk about things until they're done. Because okay. Usually I'll end up with egg on my face if, if I say something's happening and it doesn't come through. But um, but it's going to be in the realm of fasteners. I don't see us branch, branching out from fasteners. That's what we do, and, and we try to be the best at it. Well, I think you guys do a fantastic job. And Dave, I really appreciate you jumping on here with me today and doing this interview. Yeah, man. Right on. I appreciate you giving me this time, and I appreciate each and every customer we have out there like i said i feel like i know them i feel like uh we we share that common thread that enthusiasm for motocross and i'm i'm grateful for all of them they've, they've made a good living for me and like i said i love my job you guys go check out bolt motorcycle hardware and make sure to pick up a track pack when you go to your local dealership thanks dave right on. take it take care